Amen. Thank you for that opening. Um, that's uh, it. Really went well with uh, goes goes together perfectly with what I want to share. I want to take the. I want to talk about John three sixteen, the verse that we all know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> so I, I want to start with the question, what does, when Christ came, what did it mean for mankind? What did it mean, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for all of us here? <clears throat> when God sent His Son, what did it mean for Israel? What does it mean for us today? And uh, I appreciate the opening. It's right along the lines of what I want to share, especially the part about the fall, which I won't have time to get into. So thank you for that. Let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your promises, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, especially for the gift of your Son. For the incredible blessings and the gift of life, of eternal life. The story of redemption, of your sacrifice and your love for us and for all mankind. Lord, we pray that you would become a deeper and more of a reality for us, for our lives. In everything we do, Lord, we pray that you bless the time here, <clears throat> that you bless the words that are spoken. Lord, that you give us ears to hear, that you give us revelation of your word. And Lord, we pray for your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so uh, <clears throat> when Jesus came into the world, uh, most of the world noticed nothing. There were wise men far away who saw a star and they connected it with something. <clears throat> most of the world just continued their daily routine, even the people of Bethlehem. You get up, eat your porridge, go to work, maybe complain about taxes. You know, even in Bethlehem, if, if it wasn't for the shepherds making all the, the ruckus, making all the noise that night and that morning, <clears throat> I think hardly anyone would have noticed. People were busy, people were traveling, people had things to do. You know how it is when you're traveling. Do you ever notice the people around you? When you're shopping, take time to, to see the people, visit with people, notice people even. Or do we just run back and forth, trying to get things done? giving irritated looks to people who get in our ways. 
you know, you never know what's happening in people's lives, the people you see and interact with and you don't notice. <clears throat> but here, in, but you know, in, in Bethlehem, no one hardly noticed. When the greatest event in all of human history was unfolding, it was taking place. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. <clears throat> so here, God sent His Son, His only begotten Son. I want to talk today about what that means, what that means to us, what that means to Christians. What does it mean to believe on Him and to have everlasting life? What does it mean to be reconciled with God? And I, I feel uh, a little prepared and unworthy of the, to bring this message because a large part of it seems to be a bit of a mystery as to what happens. And it is a mystery. It's not perfectly clearly spelled out exactly what will happen or what happens and, and how it works. So there is a mystery in it. <clears throat> so if you want to turn to John 3, I'll be taking the, the words of Jesus out of John 3. John 3 verses 1 to 21. And hopefully the Lord... Uh, will give life and revelation. So we have uh, Jesus meeting, uh, we have uh, Jesus meeting with Nicodemus at night. And it was obviously a private meeting. And Nicodemus, who was a ruler, a pre, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a ruler in the synagogue, a leader, probably of the Pharisees. He wanted to know, know more about Jesus. He had some questions. And uh, we know Nicodemus was a sincere man because uh, he shows up a couple of times. He shows up a few more times. Um, after this, I believe the next time we hear of him is at the crucifixion. Um, and uh, there were more people like him among the Pharisees and priests that, that sided with Jesus because the way that the... The way they did the trial and the crucifixion, they did it at night. They did it in secret. So some of the, some, a lot of the leaders, the people like Nicodemus, I believe, were not informed that the trial was going on. And after the crucifixion, he's there with Joseph of Arimathea, and he gives, uh, and they take Jesus' body and give him a proper burial. So. To me, I, I truly believe that Nicodemus was a sincere and that he, he did become a believer. <clears throat> so in John 3, verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So these Pharisees, these priests, <clears throat> had spent some time watching and, uh, and discussing Jesus. They heard and saw the miracles that he did. 
then just uh, just like they had watched John the Baptist, just like they went and listened to John the Baptist, they sent people to check him out. For some reason, and for some reason, these leaders, they found themselves at odds with these men of God. There was something that was um, conflicting with them. See, they were also waiting for the Messiah. These leaders, these Jewish leaders, maybe more than a lot of the other people. And they were obviously confused as to why Jesus looked nothing like how they had pictured him. They were expecting the Messiah. They were waiting for him. But certainly they were not expecting a poor rabbi who avoided any confrontation with the Romans or authorities of the land. But they knew at the very least he was a, that he was a teacher come from God, just like they had known that John the Baptist was a prophet of God. So he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. They knew, they knew enough to know that there's something, there's a lot behind, there's something there. Like they knew of John the Baptist, they knew he was a prophet. So verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So here Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is, is confused and he humbly asks, how is that possible? What does it mean? Certainly you can't go back into your mother's womb. You can't, you can't be born all over again. That could never work. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And you, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whither, whence it come, whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus said unto him, How can these things be? So he says, Except you man be born, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot understand the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so these this is this is a term we are all familiar with here, to be born again. It's been around. Um, but the first time we heard it back in the years, um, we heard it in English. It was also very confusing to us. What does it mean? And you, had, you saw people asking the same questions. How can someone be born again? Because in our culture, we heard it in German and it never, for some people, it connected. But here Jesus is explaining, explaining what it meant, what it means to be born again. And you know, the, the, the opening, I want to point out the opening that we are fallen. Humans are fallen people. We're lost. 
we're lost. There's no way out except through salvation, except through the way that God made, the way that Jesus provided through his sacrifice. And that's the background here. And Jesus came for that reason. <clears throat> so Jesus answered what this meant. He answered what it means to be born, what it means to be born again. He says, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So to be born of, the, born of water is the natural birth. It's the birth everyone experiences. Um, I think water is a reference to life on earth. Where there's water, um, where there's a source of water in this world, there's usually life. Where there's no source of water, there's usually nothing there. There's death, a desert. Um, there's no life there. And uh, so you see this kingdom. So to see this kingdom, you have to be born of the Spirit. And everyone, everyone who's here, everybody who's walking, everybody who's lived, every living human being was born once. We were all born of water. But here Jesus says, but, and we all come into the world the same way. You know, even the, even the Son of God, even Jesus Christ, when He came, He was born of water. He was born the same way we were all born. Through Mary. <clears throat> Even the Son of God came into the world like all of us. Everyone started as a small helpless child. A small helpless crying infant. That's to be born of water. But to be born of the Spirit. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Not everyone is born of the Spirit. To be born of the Spirit is to receive the Spirit of the Almighty God inside of us. To receive the Holy Spirit, His life inside of us. And I, I tremble a little bit at, uh, at preaching about this because it is a bit of a mystery. And this can sound um, a little bit complicated and over our heads. And sometimes I'm wondering if we grasp the reality of what this means. To receive the Spirit of God inside us. To be born again. And I, I believe Jesus was using not a complicated. Um, he was not trying to make it complicated. <clears throat> when he used this illustration to explain how it works. To be born is to receive life. Like a plant. When it sprouts out from a seed, it'd be the same way. That's the, the life starts coming forth. The plant comes out of the seed and the life starts growing forth. That's the same thing <clears throat> when someone is born again. When someone receives the life of Christ, the Spirit of God, and someone is forgiven of their sins, God puts in them a new heart. He puts in them new desires. And he puts in them his Holy Spirit. And that person is changed. That person is different. And that doesn't, it doesn't happen. It doesn't always happen overnight. Sometimes it does. 
But that can be that can be a process. That can take a while. That whole process. <clears throat> things they enjoyed once, the person is different. You know, things they enjoyed once, um, they 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 can start bothering them. Things that they once freely did and, and had a good time doing, they can start being convicted of. Things they wanted to do in the past bring them under conviction and they don't want to do them anymore. They have different desires. This spirit, this new life, it will change us. It will change us and continue to change and grow in this person. The spirit will change and continue to change and grow in this person. So verse 8 is, is quite interesting to me. It says, the wind blows where it listed. It blows where it wants. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And here he says, everyone who's, who's born of the Spirit is like the wind. You can hear it. You can see the effects of the wind. You can see what it does. But you can't tell if it's coming or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I, I believe it's, it says that even this experience of being born again is different for everyone. There is no spelled out recipe that you put in this ingredient, this ingredient, and, uh, <clears throat> and you always get the same, you put it together and you always get the same results. You know, if all of us here share our testimony of our conversion, the stories would all be quite different, very different. Things that convicted one person Never, never convicted a different person. Things that uh, <clears throat> that affected one person don't affect, doesn't affect the other person. And how, what, what they experienced, what they felt, it would all be very different. Some seem to happen in minutes. Some, some stories seem to take months. For some, it's crystal clear and, and very emotional. It's something that happened quickly. For some brothers, from some brothers and sisters, it's hard to just explain when and how it happened and what happened. But for every Christian, I believe we should be able to say, I have changed. I was this, and now I am this. Now I'm that. I was serving myself, and now I'm serving God. You chose to serve God. This is what my life looked like in the past, and this is what it looks like now. <clears throat> and I believe we should all we should all try to learn. And try to articulate, try to put it in words, how it happened. It doesn't have to be glorious and exciting. 
You know, I was I was really blessed by the testimony of uh, Amos Amos Stoltzfus. Is it Amos Stoltzfus? The family was here singing. They're both Amos Stoltzfus. Uh, anyway, the last one. Mel. Okay, okay. We tried to come up with his name at home. Mel Stoltzfus, <clears throat> the family who was here singing, and he shared his testimony. He was here this summer. And what blessed me is, for a man in that ministry, his testimony wasn't glorious. It was just very simple. And I think he said he was out working and he, he just raised his arms and prayed to God that God would forgive him and he surrendered his life to him. And uh, he said later, he didn't even realize anything happened. He didn't realize what happened. But the only way he, he, he put that together, he connected that, is later he looked back at his life and that's when he saw the mark changed. That's when he saw things started changing. That commitment, that simple affirmation or that surrender is what made the difference in his life. When it started going the other direction. <clears throat> and uh, like I said, he, he didn't, he hardly noticed, he recognized that that is what was happening. You know, it can be a small step. But it's the beginning of a great journey. Many, a lot of these stories that have amazing, um, amazing and incredible beginnings end up with not so much real change in a person's life. And that's, I think that's the reality of what, that's the reality of what matters. The reality is not the experience, but what is happening in that person's life. How it changed him. It's the beginning of a journey. If there's, if it's not, there's no reality, then that should make us question if it's real. Is this person a changed person, a follower of Christ? Is Jesus truly their king? Are they children of God? And that's the question. That's the commitment we're committing to. To have Jesus as our King. To serve Him as our Lord. From our whole heart and with our whole heart. So going on, uh, verse 10. It seems like uh, he started giving Nicodemus a hard time here. For not, for not knowing what he was talking about. Um, John 3, verse 10. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If we have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if we tell you heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that is come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And here Jesus, he let out that he was the Son of God. Now the Son of God was a bit of a, was a new concept to the, uh, to the Jews of the time. They had a hard time stomaching that, that God had a son. Um, and here, so Jesus always, he always kept it slightly hidden. That uh, you almost have to look for in the Gospels. That Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> um, first, he implies that he's the Son of Man. And in, in the, the Son of Man is a reference in the prophecies of the Old Testament. The Son of Man is the reference to the Messiah. That was, uh, that was the term used for the Messiah. And you should remember that Jesus usually when he was, especially when he was dealing with the Pharisees, with the leaders, he called himself the Son of Man when he was talking to people. <clears throat> In verse 13, he says, No man has gone into heaven, but the Son of Man himself, he was referring to himself, came down from heaven. And he says, like Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the, in the wilderness, in the same way the Son of Man should be lifted up, <clears throat> in the same way Jesus would be nailed to the cross and lifted up. So whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And here he references to the bronze serpent in the wilderness that Moses made, <clears throat> that... Uh, when the Israelites complained and the, the snakes came into the camp and attacked them, God told them to make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And whoever would look at the serpent would be healed. And, <clears throat> and here he answers that point. He tells us why. He tells us the reason for his mission. Jesus tells us the reason the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to earth. <clears throat> um, John 3.16 is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. It's also one of the most famous, one of the most renowned. But And, and a lot of times I think growing up with it, we, uh, we hear it so much and so often that we, we forget to stop and think about it. Um, we've known it from childhood. It says, For God so loved the world. It answers a lot of questions for us. For God so loved the world. First, that, that God loved the world. He loves people. He loved mankind. And that's why He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you believe in the Son, in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So why would an almighty God do something like this? Why would He send His only Son to suffer and to die for people? I think it's good to ask why. Not because we should know the answer, because the only answer we have is the one here. It's, it's that He loved us. And there's something 
it's it's just hard hard to wrap our head around that he loved us enough to give to sacrifice so much for us god sent his son he gave his son his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life this is one of the most beautiful aspects of our faith that we serve we have a god in heaven who loves us a God who loved us enough to pay an incredible price for us. Was there another way for God to, to redeem mankind? I don't know, maybe, maybe there was. But God chose to give us His Son as a sacrifice. He gave His only begotten Son to die in our place. To pay the price for our sins. Jesus took our place. He died for us. And the Father watched. That's, that's one of the... One of the thoughts that struck me. You know, can you, can you imagine... If you can picture a father who watches his son suffer. If you've been a father, you can relate. To watch your son suffer... As a father, to see your son in pain and not be able to do anything to help. It's one of the most, it's one of the, the most painful things. It's like you would rather, you'd rather take the pain yourself than to see your child suffer. It's truly amazing that God would give his son That he would watch him suffer and die and take the punishment for our sins. <clears throat> Verse 17 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's the end goal that the world through him might be saved. He came not to condemn, but to save the world. God sent His Son that the world through Him might be saved. <clears throat> Verse 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So here He, he gives two sides. It's, he gives those who believe in the Son of God and those who do not who do not believe in the Son of God. <clears throat> now those who do not believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God, they're condemned before they start. They're rejecting the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because they're just, they're, they're be, even, be, even though they never accept Him. And... Uh, you know, say in the time of kings long ago, many years ago, there were kings and there was a man who didn't know, say he walked into a court and he didn't know which of the people there was the king. And he went about and he mistreated him and he treated him like a peasant and berated him. How would that go over? It wouldn't go over well. What would happen? 
He'd be in serious trouble. In those days, he'd probably get thrown in prison or executed. Even though he didn't know. Even though he didn't know that was the king. It would be entirely at the king's mercy. He would be entirely at the king's mercy for doing what he did. Whether he knew or not. And this, verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So this is the condemnation. Light came into the world, and it turned out that men, they loved the darkness more than the light, because their deeds were evil. He says, because men's deeds were evil, they rejected Jesus. Jesus said, those who practice evil hate the light. Those who practice evil hate the light. Those who do evil hate the light and avoid it at all costs. Because the light reveals the evil deeds. And then he says, those who do truth come to the light. So it's revealed where he is, that he is wrought in God, that he is founded, that he is grounded in God. Those who do the truth are drawn to the light. God's children are drawn to the light. Those who are not God's children avoid the light. So the question is, are are you drawn to the light or are you repelled by the light? Do you love the light? Are you trying to hide things in your life? Are you coming to the light? Are you coming to God? Are you seeking the word? To receive more revelation for your life. You know God sent his son not to condemn the world. But for those who reject him. For those who reject his son. For those who reject the light. Who hate the light. His coming is condemnation for those people. The coming of Jesus Christ. Is an incredible gift to mankind. God paid an incredible price for us to be redeemed and to become His adopted children, to become the sons of God. But for those who reject Him, they are rejecting their King and Lord. They're refusing to be saved. It's like someone on a life raft in a storm and and the helicopter is there and he's dropping down the rope. The rope can be right there, but if the person doesn't grab it, if the person doesn't take it, if the person refuses to be saved, he'll be lost. You can't make them grab it. You can't make them take it. It's a free gift and a free choice. So what are the things that are essential to, to being saved, to being born again, to being right with God. Um, I want to I go through um, a small 
small list here of things that I believe are the basics of salvation. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I wonder if we have too little of an expectation or sometimes I wonder if we're looking for more than what God asks for. And I believe we can be on both sides of that ditch almost. <laughs> and uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if we're looking for people to use certain words in their testimony. Or if we're truly looking for what God is, is truly looking for. And I'm, I'm not in any way looking at this to be judgmental, to, put, to check people's boxes. Um, <clears throat> but I feel, I feel as God's children, we should all be at peace with what we believe and with our faith in God. There, there has to be a peace to have a confidence to know what we believe. So there's a verse that, that comes up quite a bit, and it's in John 3.16 already. Um, um, sorry. <laughs> Whosoever believes in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, that is the simplest form of salvation. Um, I think we can get, we can find, we can have or we can find. To believe that in, the, in its most simplified form, that's about as few words. You can say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And scripture does say that a couple of times. And it has merit, it's, it's true. But what does it mean to, be, to believe? What does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we truly believe that He is who He said He is? That He is the Son of God? If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the King of Kings, that He is returning in power and glory, if we truly believe that He spoke these words in the Bible, that as the King of Kings, those words are true. Then that will demand a certain response. If that doesn't cause us to respond, then we don't believe. Then you don't really believe it. <clears throat> so first, um, scriptures say in, in Hebrews, it's without faith it is impossible to please him. So first, first and foremost, everybody has to believe that there is a God, that He is a good God, and that He loves us and cares for us. He loves us and cares for us. And I believe we, we all, most Christians believe that. All Christians should believe all of these things. But most Christians, Christians are, we're all, most people are pretty clear on that one. But it's the foundation. You have to believe that God is. We have no... You know, somebody can go down the, the, the road of atheism and truly be thrown for a loop. A lot of people, they never entertain that there is a God because they're never taught. They never, it never enters their mind. First, we have to believe that there is a God. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we have <clears throat> to believe that God is. Believe that God is, that He is there. And to believe that He, God, is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We have to believe that as a fundamental, uh, as one of the fundamental things. Um, and there's, the reason I say that is we have no, we can say there's evidence around us or the whole world declares the glory of God. But I can see the world around me and I cannot, still not believe that there is a God. I don't have really hard, uh, I wasn't there, I've never seen God with my visible eyes. I've never seen, uh, we've never interacted with him. There is an element of faith there that we have to believe to come to him. The next is we need to know and understand that we're lost. Romans 3 verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is not only sinners, not only the sinners, but the seemingly righteous. Jesus, some of Jesus' biggest battles were with the Pharisees. He says, if you were sick, if you were, um, if you were sick, you could use a doctor. But since you say you're well, you can't have no use for a doctor. You don't know that you're sick. And the Gentiles, the heathen, and even the Jews, all have sinned. Those who are living in outward sin, of course, but also those who are living righteous lives as much as they can have also sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no amount of sacrifice, discipline, works will change that. We need to realize, we need to understand. We need to understand that we cannot work ourselves into heaven. It's too great a price to pay. We have stains. <clears throat> we have stains that we cannot remove with anything in our toolbox. We cannot, we cannot help ourselves. Without Christ, we're utter, utterly lost. We need His forgiveness and sacrifice. We need His sacrifice on the cross. And that is the only way to be saved. <clears throat> and the next one is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And again, what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? To believe, does it mean that he might be up there somewhere? To believe that Jesus was real, he, was, he lived a real life on earth and was crucified. Most, most people believe that Jesus was a true historical figure. It's believing that Jesus was who He said He was. That He was the Son of God who He claimed to be. That He was and still is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That every word He spoke was and is true. That if He truly is the King of kings and we live our lives, <clears throat> that we live our lives and treat His words as though He is the King of Kings. So with that, once we have those three, or especially the first two, 
is to repent of our sins and to be forgiven. If we truly recognize our situation, if a person recognizes that they are lost, that they're without hope, that we need Christ, once we truly recognize that we cannot of ourselves do this, we come to Christ. The only logical response should be to come to Christ. To pray for forgiveness. To profess his name and to trust in him. To put our trust in him. Jesus provided a way. He provided the way of salvation. And it's, it's a little like I said. It's sometimes it looks oversimplified. Sometimes. And, but if you dig in, it just gets too complicated. It takes a childlike faith to accept that I cannot of my own self. I cannot be saved. And it takes a childlike faith to believe, to just trust that he paid the price. I surrender myself to him because of what he did, because he is worthy, because he loves us. And to put our trust in him. And that's one of the big elements, to truly put our trust in Christ. To give our lives to him, to surrender. We seek him, we pray and pray to him. And if we, if we truly ask for forgiveness for our sins, if we truly pray for his life inside us, if we truly desire to serve him with all our heart, it's a huge commitment. It's a big deal. It'll affect every area of our life. It sounds too good to be true, but it's going to cost us a lot. Because Jesus calls, he, he wants everything. He gave everything he had. He gave the highest, the, the most he could give. How much more should we give all we can give? We're the recipients of the blessing here. <clears throat> God is the rejoice, He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If we truly surrender our own will, if we surrender, if we just come to Him and we say, Lord, I cannot, and we, we accept Him, we receive Him, we ask for Him to be Lord of our lives. You have to think about what that means. We, we, we've seen the sinner's prayer so many times. <clears throat> I mean, not so much here in our circle anymore. But the, the sinner's prayer, which has asked for the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be Lord of your life, and you will be saved. 
it sounds oversimplified, but if you truly look and in, dig into it, if we surrender, if we come to God as surrendered and repentant sinners, and we ask Him to come into our heart, to take over our lives and our heart, and to take charge. But the key is, the key is that that's so often overlooked, it's so often missed in the sinner's prayer. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a sinner's prayer proponent. But what's so often overlooked is that to accept Him as Lord of our lives. That's the game changer. That changes everything. I can, have, I can ask the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. And if I have this little portion here, this little part of my life that I, okay... We're going to leave that alone. Lord, we're not going to touch that. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to just, this is, this is a little corner that we don't go into. He can't work. I don't think a person can be saved with, without accepting Jesus truly as Lord of your life. <clears throat> to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to accept Him as Lord. It is to accept Him as King. And if we do, He gives us a peace. He gives us His Spirit and grace. Grace to walk in it. And fruits come forth out of a life like that. So, Amen. I pray God would give us more revelation and understanding of, of that. that beautiful concept.